Let's turn in our Bibles to Romans 12. Romans chapter 12. Romans chapter 12. And everybody has a copy of the Scriptures, yes? I want to make sure that we're good. I want to start this morning with a quote. This is a quote by a man named Stanley Ellison. And his comments on Romans 12.1 are very pertinent to what we want to talk about today. A believer must put his faith to work. Total involvement in the work of the Lord by all members of the church is one of the great needs of our day. Now let's pause for just a moment. If there's a cliche that I hate to hear the most about the church, because I take things about the church very seriously, I would throw my best friend under a bus to preserve the church, because the church is Christ's bride, and it's a very serious matter. But this, well, 80% of the work is done by only 20% of the people. I hate that cliche. It's like the guy who's continually going to AA. Hi, my name's Schmitty and I'm an alcoholic. And Schmitty always has to confess to being an alcoholic because that's what he's been told he is. And he can never get beyond that ceiling. He's just always labeled as an alcoholic. And if you notice, the means out of that situation is never to get past the label. But it's always about the steps that he needs to take to make a better him. Now, I wouldn't expect for the world to handle it any other way. But that's paganism, self-help, try better, bootstrap theology, and there is nothing godly about it whatsoever. Because all you got to do is get your act together. So sometimes we get pigeonholed as the church that other people are going to take care of it. Other people are going to do it. Well, that's going to rest on somebody else, not me. If you're here today, and if you're not here today, online people, there is something for you to do for the glory of God in the context of the local church. This is where God works. In Acts chapter 2, and I'm not saying anything bad about this, but I want you to think about what I'm saying. In Acts chapter 2, the Holy Spirit didn't come along and birth Campus Crusade for Christ. That's not what they did. Are you saying you don't like Campus Crusade for Christ? No. I'm saying that God's means of reaching the world was founded in the local church. And it started with a local church in Jerusalem. That's where it came from. These other parachurch organizations sprang out of people in the local church with good intentions. But I sometimes wonder if our parachurch organizations are necessary or our Bible colleges and seminaries are necessary only because the church isn't doing what it ought to be doing. Or let me say it this way. I can't think of anything that those places are teaching people that this place shouldn't be teaching people. Does that make sense? Now, I understand people want degrees. 
People want accreditations. People want experience. But there comes a point in my thinking where if I'm looking for anything, I'm looking for the Holy Spirit. I'm looking for the Holy Spirit to be moving through somebody in order to be making a difference. Because if you love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength, but you don't have a PhD, guess what? I'm going with that person. Degrees aside. Everybody know Jesus didn't go to seminary? Sometimes you have a hard time convincing some people that didn't happen. Every member in the church is important. Every member is significant. Every member is indispensable to what God wants to do. Every person matters. And it's one of the great needs of our day. Now, he wrote this in 1975. Does that apply today? It does. And so here's what this makes me think. By and large, what has the church been doing for the past 40 some odd years? How come things have not changed? How, comes when, how come when we see things in God's Word, and we say, and this is how this applies to your life, this is how this needs to be different, we're not going, yeah, and I can't continue on the way I was, because God has got something to say in His Word, and I have to be different. To continue on to be comfortable, which God doesn't care about, makes me a hypocrite. I don't say this to hurt you. I say this because I love you. And because what I'm saying is, is that God wants us experiencing Him every day. And He has given us line after line, after beckoning, after begging, after beseeching, whatever your King James says, right? of how badly He wants you to know more of Him so that what comes out of you is all of Him. So being involved, serving, putting your faith to work. We never put our faith to work to validate our faith. We put our faith to work because it springs out of a love for what He's done for us. Now let's continue this or we'll never get done. This is true not only of the progress of the work of the church, but especially for the spiritual growth and development of each member. Do you realize that if a church member does not serve, they will not grow? There are two things that a church member needs, a a, a Christian needs in order to grow. The first one is to understand the security of their salvation because it's based on the finished work of Christ, not anything that you do. When that happens, all kinds of amazing growth goes on. But that growth has got to be channeled in a direction. It's got to be involved in ministry. It's got to be involved in pouring into the lives of other people. And I don't know if you've noticed this, but you're not the only one here this morning. The church is made up of people. People who have been equally redeemed by the blood of Christ as you have. And why is that that we gather together? Because we need one another, because we are His body. For some strange reason, I am his neck. I don't understand that. But he is the head. And this is how we fit together in order to mutually encourage one another, to mutually build up one another, and it has to be expressed. And the way that it is expressed is in service. Putting feet on our faith. It says here, believers are called not only to salvation, but also to service. 
Go ahead and go to the next one. We are not only saints, but servants. Our vocation is service. And there is no genuine satisfaction in life without fulfilling this vocation. Retirement from Christian service is never suggested in the Bible. Never. God's 401k plan does not include taking it easy. Not at all. Not at all. Tom will be back. But is that good news? <laughs> uh, he's an important part of the body too. Everybody remember the thorn in Paul's flesh? Let's move on. God, God has a program of joyful service, despite of what you just heard, for every believer, wherein he can find joy and contentment exercising his special ability for the Lord. Everyone. And so the question is, how does this happen? It should seem like that the answer is, well, you just need to get better, or sorry, you just need to get busy for God, right? Just stop messing around with it and just get busy. Getting busy doing work. Because what you find is a lot of times when we get busy, it's making our flesh operate differently. Let me tell you a secret. You have no control over your flesh. None. The flesh profits nothing. Therefore, whatever's going to come out of it is never going to glorify God. But we get so caught up in being busy. Here's what I'm doing. Here's what I'm doing. Here's what I'm doing. Here's what I'm doing. And then we get frustrated because other people aren't helping out. And we get upset because we feel like we're just spinning our wheels and we get burned out. And all of a sudden we find that we want to put our service to God on a hiatus within the context of the local church, which according to the Bible is his accepted, God-wrought, spirit-born means of exercising spiritual service to the Lord. But because we're so messed up, because we were doing it in the flesh for so long, we can't move forward. Today is critical for understanding everything we're going to do for the next two to three months if not longer. So when we talk about Romans, we talk about chapter 12, verse 1, we must recognize that there are 11 chapters of here's what you need to know about what God has done for you in Christ and what He is doing now. And so this is Paul engaging Christians Asking them to respond in a correct way. Not just to respond and do whatever you feel, do whatever you like. That's not what he's going for. There's a proper way to do it. And when we recognize that we're not just believers, but we're also priests, we've been given this calling of service unto him. There's the sacrifice of praise that comes from our lips to give him glory. There are good works that we're to do. There is sharing that is to be exhibited within our body. We're not to be a standstill people. Instead, we are to be a people who have received the grace of God and then overflow in the grace of God so that we can exalt 
the grace of God. That's the only way it happens. Because if we're not willing to worship God and work for God in God's way, there is no glory that is given. So God is very particular about this. So now let's run through this, make very brief comments, and then unfold what maybe the problem might be in our thinking. Chapter 12, verse 1. Therefore, I urge you, brethren, why is the therefore, therefore? It is there because we must ask the question, how will I live now that I know more about him? It's not that you had to go on a journey of self-discovery. You bought yourself a sailboat and you're just going wherever the wind takes you. That's not what it is. You're not just out enjoying the college experience. That's not doing anything to lead you closer to Jesus. The idea is the more that I receive and embrace what he's done for me, the Holy Spirit begins to change me. It's not about you changing. It's about the Holy Spirit being the change in you. So don't get all ate up on, well, I sinned more today than yesterday. I'm going to tell you this. So what? Are you saying sin's not serious? No, I'm saying sin's real serious. It separated us from a holy God. And when we talk about that we're ministers of reconciliation, that's coming back into a relationship experience that we should have been having anyway. So yeah, sin's really, really, really bad. But I'm not worried about it for you. Unless you're habitual. Unless you're bent on it. Unless after encountering what God has to say about specific sin in your life, you're saying, you know what, I'm just going to do what I want to do anyway. That's a problem. But if you're saying, you know what, today was just a bad day sin-wise. The problem is not that you can't get your act together. The problem is that we're not resting in what Jesus has already done. And this is what is unfolded here. In Romans. So how are we going to live differently? Because of everything that I've been told in 1 through 11, especially that I've been justified freely by His grace, how should life change? Well, notice, I urge you. Remember, we talked about this. This is borderline begging and borderline command. He calls them brethren because they're believers. He says, by the mercies of God. Why? Because we're all sinners and therefore we're all candidates of mercy. So God has constantly got mercy in our direction because we're sinners and we need it. That's just how compassionate he is. But then he gives a solution. And look what he says here. Present your bodies. Automatically priest language. You've got an offering to bring. You bring you. That's what it is. Now look how he classifies this presentation of the body. He says here, number one, that it's a living sacrifice. He calls it a living and holy sacrifice or offering. The word can be translated either way. Number one, living. A living sacrifice? How many priests do you think would go in there, sacrifice something, and God went, nah, and just ran? You think that freaked him out? But let's be honest, if it's a sacrifice, death takes place, right? But it's living. Does the Bible have a contradiction? No. 
Let me ask you the question, how are you a living sacrifice? Let me ask you this, have you died? Yes, you have. We have died with who? With Christ. And just as we died with Christ, we will be, we'll be raised with Him, right? As far as resurrection is concerned, we've already been raised to a newness of life. So we're alive, but we're alive only in Him. We are dead to sin, but we are alive in Christ Jesus our Lord. Everybody see that? He who has died to sin dies no longer. And the life that he now lives, he lives unto who? God. Isn't it interesting when we're called a living and holy sacrifice? Look what it says there. Acceptable to who? To God. So notice, we're living already because we're in Christ. That's the only suitable means for you and I to live life any longer. Anything that is considered outside of the sphere of Christ has no bearing for any sort of glory to be given to God whatsoever. It's trash. It's absolute filth. It matters nothing. The flesh is dead. Our problem is, is we refuse to let it die. We want to take it up again and handle situations on our own. And we don't recognize ourselves as already crucified. So the flesh has been crucified, and we've already been resurrected. That is a reality for you and me this morning. The second thing he gives you is holy. Now we know this. What's the word holy mean? Set apart. And we have to ask ourselves, set apart from what? Now don't answer quickly. But if the means of us being a living sacrifice, which seems like an oxymoron, but a living sacrifice, and it's because we're living in Christ, then I have to ask myself, in Christ, how have I been set apart? If we go back to Romans 6 and we take a look at what he said there, Jesus died for sins. Everybody remember that? Plural being the multiple offenses against God. So everything that you and I have done, past, present, and future, what if Christ has already paid for it? It's nailed to the cross and done. But the problem that still exists is sin, singular. And what is that? That is the desire that is rooted deeply in me to want to do whatever I want to do, contrary to everything that God has provided for me. And that is the well of which sins spring from. Nobody sins just out of nowhere. Something is premeditated. Or there is a value system or a conviction that is already held internally that prompts us to elicit those types of response that is sins. Does that make sense? So there's something going on here, and, and if we want to label it, we can label it very clearly. Unbelief. That's exactly what it is. Either we're ignorant because we don't know what the Word of God has to say about it, or we do know and we don't care because we want what we want, unbelief. That's what it is. Because it's a means or a conviction of operating apart from God. So what am I holy from? What have I been set apart from? My problem isn't sins. My problem isn't the multiple offenses I commit against God. That's just wiping the nose of my problem. I need to get some lethal plutonium-grade NyQuil in there and deal with my sin. And that is the cross. The cross deals with my sin problem. 
what it is in me that wants, desires, lusts after to do wrong. Now, how have I been set apart? Christ, in his death, has set me apart from sin. Let me ask you a question. Do dead people sin? No. So when I recognize that I am dead to sin and alive in Christ Jesus my Lord, the whole idea of living a life that is contrary to what God has said in His Word makes no sense for you and me. It should be an absolute question mark as to why that would even be a viable option. So when I talk about, or sorry, when Paul talks about a living and holy sacrifice, offering that you bring, the presentation of yourself to him. That's what he's talking about. He's talking about everything that you already are. Now operate that way. Now does everybody notice it's to God? Right? Acceptable to God. The word is also, if you notice your marginal, well-pleasing. Makes him happy. Makes him smile. Why? Because everything that his son went through to provide for you, you are now taking that up as your truth for living. It's now the right way to handle the situation. It's how you're going to move forward. It is your modus operandi. Everybody know what that means? Your method of operation. It's how you're going to do it. It's how you're going to live life, make decisions, the convictions you're going to hold dear, the things you're going to stand up for, the way you're going to discipline your kids, the way you're going to talk to your spouse, it's all rooted in what Christ has done. When we're taking that up, it's because we're reveling in that fellowship that we talked about earlier. Notice it's to God. Notice it's not to your spouse. Ooh, that becomes tricky, doesn't it? Isn't that what Adam dealt with? Right? Well, he's saying this, but she's holding that. I don't know. I wish we had his commentary going on in that situation. Don't you sometimes wish you could reach into Genesis and smack him? I do. Fool, what's wrong with you? All right? Too often we experience a tug of war and influence. But as a priest, you only have one God. In fact, what got Israel into trouble is when they began sacrificing to other gods. Regardless of what it is. Material, immaterial, figments of your own imagination. I don't care. People that you love dearly will make you compromise your convictions about God's Word. And all of a sudden you find that the living sacrifice is getting up and walking off the altar. In fact, Barb told me this morning, you know the problem with the living sacrifice. It likes to get up and walk away. It's true. Because oftentimes what Jesus calls us to do is not popular, fashionable. But it's got to be rooted in who He is. Now watch this. It's got to be acceptable to God, and here's where I wanted to grab it, which is your spiritual service of worship. Some of us have got some different things here. Some of us have got your reasonable worship, your logical worship that goes on. It just makes sense to operate this way. I have an interesting quote that I found, and I think that it hits the nail directly on the head of what Paul was getting at here. PJ, if we could bring the other quote up. The, the pick a really quote. Try saying that five times fast. But reasonable here, 
or spiritual is what the NASB translates it. Probably describes the area in which we perform this sacrifice, worshipful ministry of offering ourselves to God. In other words, we do so in the sphere of reason rather than in the real literal sense. The old priest performed a literal, physical, tangible ministry, but ours is a rational, spiritual ministry in the mind and soul instead of with literal tabernacles and altars and animals. In other words, the place where worship becomes acceptable to God is because we start thinking in God's way. We start submitting our minds to Him. Now let me give you a diagram that you've seen numerous times and are probably sick of it. Don't throw up on your shoes. Let's bring it up. Everybody remember this? You and I are made up of three things. Spirit, soul, body. And when you believe in Christ, your spirit is automatically justified. The Holy Spirit comes in, cleans house. Why? Because he's moving in. He's taking over the residence. And so your spirit and the Lord's spirit are residing together, harmonious as can be, love everything that God is putting out. They receive it. Woo! Love to worship, right? Your body is always going to be a work in progress, but the progress is often downhill. Oh, my neck, oh, my back. It's much more than that, okay? But the body is the expression of whatever you value the greatest internally. And this is where it brings up the idea of the soul. Why? Because the soul is made up of your mind, your will, and your emotions. Now, if you notice, our old master has been evicted. Praise God for that. We are now a new man in Christ in the Spirit. But there is still a rule of influence that he wants to try to bring over the soul and over the body. Don't fault the body. The body doesn't sin without the soul. So the question is, what are we valuing in the realm of the soul and our mind, will, and emotions at any time of which the expression of sin would be shown to other people? Can you sin without it being expressed here? Yeah, you can, because it happens right here, doesn't it? That guy cut me off. You ever had one of those? You're like, I'd like to cut him off, like that kind of thing. We sometimes do that. Think about all the horrible things we like to do to bad drivers. Anyway. I won't work on that because that's none of us. So I want to give this to you real quick so that you understand this thoroughly. And PJ, this is a different one about the soul. When we talk about the soul, we're talking about our life. We're talking about the very being that we are. Number one, it deals with the mind. And here's what it has to do with. What I know, believe, and affirm. What I think is true. Any of you ladies like Hallmark movies? Raise your hand if you do. You guys are hopeless romantics. It's terrible. <laughs> My wife loves them. We were watching some show last night. She had on about, you know, a doctor came into a town. It's 1800s because she's a woman. Everybody's freaking out. All these orphans are sick, and they're blaming them. The scourge of God is upon our people. We've done nothing. We're so holy. And Lou Diamond Phillips pops up out of nowhere. I don't know what's going on. But anyway, it's weird. You know, and, and, and the, of all people, Chloris Leachman, is having a conversation with this doctor about God. And she looks at her and says, 
I believe what I can see, and my convictions are mine. And of course, it was written by the Jeanette Oak lady, so I'm sure a doctor gets saved later. I didn't watch any more of it. Whatever. But the fact is, there's a lot of people about that. And where does it start? It starts with what I believe is true. That's for the Christian as well. In fact, oftentimes, God cannot do His greatest work in our lives because our minds refuse to believe Him. Even though we've got page after page of Him telling us the truth, telling us His promises, telling us how much He loves us, telling us how the end of all of it's going to go down so you don't need to be worried about some whack job with a bomb strapped to Him over in the middle of nowhere. And we get all flustered and messed up about a lot of things when God's Word just gives us some really straight promises about it. Huh. I guess I need to believe that. I guess I need to believe that. Why? Because my father's been telling me the truth this whole time, and I would have saved myself a lot of worry and energy and problems if I just would have listened to my dad from the get-go. It's the same type of idea. The will is different because the will are the actions based on my convictions. If I'm thinking it in a certain way, I'm going to operate outwards in a certain way. It's going to manifest itself in a certain way. And if I'm not holding fast to the truth of God's word, and therefore I'm not submitting myself to everything that God has said is true of me, then all of a sudden I find that I've let sin creep in and be the difference. Now this also comes about in our emotions. Because what that's going to do is it's going to be the bodily expression about how I feel about a certain situation. Some of us, when we wake up in the morning, we don't feel saved. Are you still saved? But notice, in order to get through the day without panic and worry, and maybe I need to get baptized again, or whatever else it might be, it's got to be convinced here first. The mind has got to be recorrected by the Word of God in order for the emotions not to take over and derail the train into a ditch. We can't let that happen. This is significant. Now here's the problem that we have. Offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, a living and holy sacrifice to God. It's well-pleasing to Him. My concern is, is that oftentimes we get piecemeal with our offerings. Sometimes we come under a conviction and say, you know, maybe we should part with some of our finances for the Lord's work. I tried talking Nathaniel into this, reasoning through him, because he's got a little piggy bank at home. He's going through, he's like, man, I can buy all kinds of Mario stuff with this. You know, he's got like 14 cents. He's like, this is amazing. You know, I started talking to him. Do you realize that God does things through missionaries or, or something like that to spread the gospel with? You know, money that we give, you know, that's the reason why we do that. And we want to support that effort. What do you think about that? Mm, I think I want some Mario toys. <laughs> Five years old. Love him that he's honest, right? But then we finally had a conversation where he said, you know what, I think I'd like to give some of this. And so he's got a little envelope in there. It's called Jesus money. You drop it in there put it in his bank, and anytime he can get some money, he can put whatever he feels is important to give in his Jesus money envelope. Now here's an interesting thing about that. Does God want more of Nathaniel than just his Jesus money? Do you think that's true of you? But see, it's real easy for us to give a little bit of ourselves than it is to take our hands off the wheel and say, God, take it all. It's really yours anyway. In fact, if I've read Romans 1 through 11 correctly, you own it all. 
And I don't know why I would ever choose anything different. Because walking with the Lord is not a piece of meal process. We often treat it like the Christian hokey pokey. Yeah, I'll give you my right leg, man, but left leg, no. No, it's mine. A lot of times we don't recognize how our service to the Lord is rooted in our conviction about what He said about us. And therefore, right leg Christianity is just exactly where we want to be. Why? Because if we were to give Him anything more of ourselves, which He already owns and is already His anyway, that He might do something to mess up our lives. Is God out to mess up your life? You sure? To change it. He might send you to Africa. Or Madison. Also known as Samaria. You know, I said something about that one time. We had a guy that was a professor here from Madison. He was mad. He left his phone number. He wanted a response. And so I tried to call him. He never picked up his phone. I left him a message. We love you. Hope you're back, you know. Never came back. So let me ask some hard questions. Because I think this is important. We have this conversation. Why is it that we got to pull teeth to get people involved to help our youth group? Did you retire? Nothing biblical about it. Do we run the danger of the 80-20 cliche? Let me tell you something incredible that's going on. Scott Hansen prayed. Lord, when we finish Awana, and these kids come back at the very end of August, some of them have largely forgot the things that we spent months going over with and teaching them. It's kind of like we've got to start over. That's frustrating. God, what can we do? And I love this, man. This is moving because he started with prayer. I love that he didn't come to me. Jeremy, we think we can do. I don't know. I'm so thankful he went to God first. Why? Because God knows. And God is already working. And some boys came to him and said, Mr. Scott, is there, is there any bags that you guys might have we can put some of our books and stuff in to carry around here? Yeah, let me look. Went rummaging around in the Awana office back there and found some Awana soccer bags. And they said, whoa, Mr. Scott, this is so cool. Are we going to do soccer? <laughs> Understand this. Scott has already submitted himself to the Lord to say, whatever you want to do, God, show me, show me. I'm not just going to sit around in a room and say, hey, what's the best idea we got to throw out here? The flesh profits nothing. God, what do you want us to do? So he starts having conversations. Now we've got a dad of one of the kids that's coming who's been heavily changed by what goes on in our WANA program. And he wants to help with that. We've got Tabitha, who has coached soccer in the past. She said, yes, I'll get out there and I'll help coach. And so now during the summer, we're going to have from 6 o'clock to 7.30 to where we're going to have soccer. And somebody's already donated a goal. And we already have soccer balls. And God just keeps going. Why? Because somebody knows what Jesus has done for them and said, whatever I could do is not going to amount to a hill of beans compared to what God wants to do through me. Guess what? 
They need volunteers. They need help. They need somebody maybe to help with some snacks. Maybe put together a devotion. You know what would be real incredible? Show up with your lawn chairs and cheer for the kids. I mean, it's going to be comedy, whatever it is. You know that, right? <laughs> but just to turn out and say, yeah. And here's what else is interesting about that. It allows me to continue doing the Living by the Book class through the summer and finish it. I'd have to pick it up in September so that in September I can turn around and now be involved in Awana and teach middle schoolers prophecy. A chain of events put together all because one person in our congregation said, Lord, I'm presenting myself to you. Everybody know where Scott is right now? Children's Church. Do you realize that one of the reasons why our Sunday school program suffers is because we can't offer child care for infants to three years old because we can't staff the nursery for that time? That's a problem. Look around. Look around. Go ahead. It's not going to hurt you. We've got a lot of people in this room. Everybody in here has got arms, which means we can all rock babies. But notice it all starts with the mindset of saying, God, what do you want? What do you want from me? Let me show you two things real quick. Turn to Daniel 3. You pretty much already know this account, but I want to give you the summation of it. You've got a king that is very full of himself in a pagan land who erects a massive statue made of gold. And he sends out a decree, everybody must worship or die. And there are three boys from out of town who decide they're not going to do that. Why? Because to bend the knee to anybody other than Almighty God is idolatry. And we're already settled in who God is and all that He has in store for us to know that He will take care of us regardless of the situation. And they believed it to the point to where death was not the worst thing that could happen to them. Sometimes we let death keep us from being obedient in its possibility. But what I want you to see is how it ends. Chapter 3, look at verse 28. Nebuchadnezzar, that's the king, responded and said, Blessed be the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Now that's huge, because where they lived, there were already gods to worship. This was a foreign god. It's a creator of gods. It's a creator of the earth. It's a creator of the universe. Now, blessed be to him, changing this king's mind. Why is that? Look what it says. Who has sent his angel and delivered his servants who put their trust in him, violating the king's command, and here it is, yielded up their bodies so as not to serve or worship any god except their own god. Anybody know what the other word for yield is? Present. They presented up their bodies and said, we will worship our god. No other. Whatever God wants is what I need. I don't need anything else. 
This is a real life tangible example that took place. In fact, when they came out of this crazy hot furnace, all of the magicians and satraps and wise guys that were around that time were sitting there going, how come they don't smell like smoke? How come it's not even on their garments? Nobody's even singed. Because God's got something He wants to say through these boys. And that is that this entire civilization that they found themselves taken captive into might worship a false God, but there's only one true God. And here's your living example. Repent. Because that's what God does through lives that are submitted to Him. You mean He can keep me from death and burning? He can do anything. Nothing has ever stopped Him from getting His will accomplished. He's God. And sometimes we forget that. Now here's the question. Mentally, what does the outlook of life... Here's what a physical example looks like. Mentally, what does an outlook look like? Go back into the New Testament to Galatians. And this is probably the most succinct and powerful statement of a mindset of someone who desires nothing but to be an offering to God continually. And it all starts with how you understand yourself in Christ. Galatians 2, and look at verse 20. You might even have this memorized. Common verse, but powerful verse. I have been crucified with Christ. Now, Paul could have said, hey guys, Romans 6. But he tells you, if you're a believer in Christ, you've already been crucified with Him. Here's what Paul says. I've been crucified with Christ. And it's no longer I who live, flesh Paul, self Paul, living in the soul Paul. That's not who lives anymore. That person needs to stay dead, especially in my thinking. Why? Because they've been nailed to the cross. I've been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, in the body, the expressions that come out, the way that I think, the convictions that drive my will to make certain choices, the emotions that I'm displaying in situations, all of that, the life that I now live in the flesh, I live by what? faith in the Son of God. In other words, whatever He has to tell me is King, I believe that. I operate according to that. I'm baking all of it on that. All my eggs are in the basket of the Word of God. That's the difference. The life I now live, I live by faith in the Son of God. And notice how He qualifies that. Who loved me and died for me. That's all the motivation we need. If all of our Bibles were lost and we had this one verse, it would be enough. Because it tells you succinctly, not just what Jesus did, but what He wants to do and how He wants to live through you. In fact, if you've got a King James Bible, you'll find there that there's a comma. It's very significantly wedged in that verse. And it will state something to the effect of, not I, comma, 
but Christ. Do you recognize that he's not just your substitution in death, he's your substitution in life? Jeremy's not going to get anything accomplished. Jesus will get everything accomplished. It is only through Christ that these things become a reality. But here's where we've got to back up and start. Do you believe that? Do you believe that Jesus is here? Do you believe He's in you? Do you believe that He's spoken into your life? Do you believe that the Word of God applies to you? Do you believe that it's authoritative for every area of your existence? Well, no, I'm still a hokey-pokey Christian. So if the Word of God is authoritative over your right leg, who's the authority over your left leg? And if he's the authority over your finances, but he's not over the authority in your marriage, who is the authority over your marriage? Everybody see how good this could be a problem? Because now we have not just competing influences. Don't water it down like that. Now we have idolatry. And we're saying that somehow God is reserved and compartmentalized because he's surviving on an equal plane in my life along other competition that is just as valuable and just as valid as he is. Would we ever admit that out loud out of our mouths? Would you ever say that? Yeah, I'm a believer. Yeah, I go over here to Grace Bible Church. It's fantastic. I love God's Word. Yeah, this is so awesome. And, and yeah, we've, well, we came to this moment where we submitted our lives in that situation to God. But when you talk about how I treat the rest of my family, well, you don't know what they deserve. And so therefore, we go by this. Therefore, I really live by this. No one would ever say that. Well, God's Word just didn't have anything to say about how I conduct myself in this way. We would never out and out say that. But let me ask you this. Do we make the mistake of displaying that too often? See, it's not really about what we say. It really comes down to what we believe about God's Word. And if His Word is authoritative, and if it's spoken to the totality of our life, then the not I but Christ needs to be a much more frequent response of what we give. He's not just your substitute in death. Is your substitute in life. And in order to offer yourselves, if I were to offer anything else except wanting for Christ to take me, it's just me coming into a greater realization of what He's already done. It's not me conjuring up something. It's not me trying to get a new feeling about it. I need to have a new experience with the Lord. It's none of that crazy stuff. It's about this idea of here's all that Jesus has done. And my thinking is so much on everything else, it needs to be redirected to this truth. It's all about what he wants. It's all about what he wants. Now, if you're like me, you're forgetful. Or if you're like me, you get in the moment, it gets heated. You go, huh, I got to respond like this. And we have this default. Right? This is my default reaction when things don't go my way. Anybody have that? Okay, just making sure. thought I was just talking to myself here. Okay? So here's something that I think was a good idea. Is if you notice in your seat, spread it around. You've got these little wristbands. Everybody see these? Anybody not get one? We've got some in some seats. I want everybody to have one. Delano, you're such a slacker. Slacker Delano. I pick on this kid relentlessly. Here we go. Delano, you don't get one. 
There you go. If you've got any extras, hold them up. Because I want everybody to have one. Anybody got any extras? Wow. There's an ex-quarterback for the Packers. There you go. Throw it. Throw it. Let's see it. Oh. What did they do to you? Don't hit them. Who else needs one? For real. There we go. Look at it. Not I, but Christ. I need this reminder. I need to know that in every situation I ever come in contact with in life, whether it be a decision, whether it be a direction, whether it be whether or not I should be serving in my local church, not I, but Christ is always God's answer to that situation. Because if we're going to operate in a way that is not with Christ living in our lives, I have to ask the question, where did that come from? Because it's not from God. So what am I saying? Let me summarize it for you. I urge you, by the mercies of God, present your bodies as a living and holy sacrifice that is well-pleasing and acceptable to our God. Because it only makes sense to worship Him in this way. It only makes sense for all that He's done to allow Him to apply all those things to live out in His church so that He receives the worship. Because that's what happens when you live, not I but Christ. Worship. Worship. Let's pray. Father, we thank You that the blood of Jesus Christ cleanses from sin, but we thank You even more that life is not lived aimlessly, without purpose, without significance. There is much You desire to do with every single person in this room. None of us is exempt. None of us is a secondary project. None of us is a mistake. Every one of us, being your children, are to be used for your glory. And Jesus has died to make all that possible. He takes care of all of it. He brings all of it to the forefront. Where do we recognize that that authority needs to be put into our lives now? That we need to take our hands off the wheel and allow you to take it. That's different for every one of us, Lord, but we all have areas. We all have areas that we need to turn over to you. Jesus is our sacrifice, but also our substitute in living. It's not about us, it's about him. It's never about us. It's all about him. May we be convinced of that truth today. We ask it in the name of our great Savior. Amen.